because in our sermon this morning, proper attire required. Proper attire required. We have coming from the book of Isaiah this morning, the 45th chapter. Uh, the prophet speaks of what the Lord's could do to Cyrus, his anointed king, the shepherd, to lead and guide his people, to release his people from captivity, and to set them free and to send him back to the land to build him a temple to build for the Lord. And we have to look at this. I said the Old Testament is put there for our admonition, something that we could live for, extract life, life today, our walk in life, uh, our way in life. And it was written for our admonition. The scripture context also in Close the parable of the wedding feast today. Matthew, the 22nd chapter, 1st to the 14th verse. But our reading scripture came from Isaiah, the 45th chapter. And 13 verses says, I have raised him up in righteousness. He's talking about Cyrus. And I say we always want to make it applicable to us. The scripture's applicable to us. And it says, I will, will, I will raise him up in righteousness. And that's what we concentrate on, his will being done, and that God's been working in our life, though we hadn't known the Lord just like he was working in Cyrus' life, and Cyrus didn't know him. The children of Israel didn't know him, but God's will, as we pray, thy will be done. Well, he's doing something in each and every one of our lives whether through his divine sovereignty, where he says he created the heavens and the earth, or whether through his divine providence that he is like Cyrus, guiding and leading us through to a completed end. We're heading to the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus came, preaching the kingdom of God. That's the ultimate place of the go. He says, I go away and prepare a place for you. And there'll be a wedding supper or Wedding for the bride and the bridegroom, and he's that bridegroom. The church is his bride. He's coming back. We have an example here. God the Father is the king that's putting on this extravagant wedding for his son as he marries the bride or whatever. And he sends the people out, the servants out, to get the word out and invite them. There'll be many a call. Invite them to this wedding supper this wedding, this great wedding for his son. And a lot of them refused to attend. I want to read that to you out of the living Bible. And it says, And Jesus told several other stories to show what the kingdom of heaven is like. For instance, he said, It can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding dinner for his son. Many guests were invited, and when the banquet was ready, he sent messengers to notify that everyone, it was time to come, but all refused. So he sent other servants to tell them, and everything is ready, and the roast is in the oven. Hurry, come on. The feast is ready. But the guests he had invited merely laughed and went on about their business. One to his farm, another to his store. Others beat up his messengers and treated them shamefully, even killing some of them. Then the angry king sent out his army and destroyed the murderers and burned their cities. 
And he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, and the servants and the guests I've invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants did and brought in all they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guest, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the robe provided for him. Phrenyaks, how does it happen that you are here without a wedding robe? And the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, Bind him hand and foot and throw him out into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. For there are many call, but a few chosen. Out of that word of God, we try to extract something here that we can kind of know on the rest of the week and get, get, get a, a walk, an a, a idea of what God's doing in our lives or whatever. As we look back at Cyrus here, we see the children of Israel, they were in captivity and bondage in Babylon. Cyrus came in while Nebuchadnezzar's grandson was feasting. Belteshazzar, I think was his name. Um, and he set the captives free. And we wanted to look at that. He says, This said the Lord to his anointed to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him. And I will loose the two lead gates and open it up to kings. And I will loose the loins of the kings to open before him the two lead gates, and the gates shall not be shut. It's going on down to. Verse 5, it says, I am the Lord, and there is none beside me. There is no God beside me. I girded thee. In other words, he grabbed you close. He snuggled sides. It says, girded, you know, like carrying and holding. He says, I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that thou may knowest from the rising of the sun, from the east and from the west, there is none beside me. I form light and I create darkness. I make peace. He says, drop down ye heavens from above and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open up and let them bring forth salvation and let righteousness spring up together how the Lord have created it. And we talked about Cyrus here. And it's for a king to search out matters. But in this day and time, we see we, we as human beings as put here, God has set eternity in our hearts, but there are some of us that are walking in darkness and never hear the voice of God, even though it rains on the just and the unjust. God blesses everyone. There's blessings of God, and we all enjoy His sunshine, His rain. We enjoy the warm and the cold. We enjoy the fruits and the vegetables. We enjoy everything that the earth produces. But how many of us come to the knowledge and understanding of God? How many of us are his chosen children? There's a God that's crawling and calling the people. And he calls us and he says there'll be many a call. But only a few chosen. We see why he chose Cyrus to call his people. And Cyrus called to the people and issued a proclamation through faith. He's seen his name Daniel, I guess, preached the gospel. Someone showed him the word of God in all of this action, this faith. It is by God's grace through faith. 
that he had acted to issue a proclamation to let God's people go. To let them go back and build a temple for the Lord. That loose the bears, he said, whosoever will. And I told you he was a type of Christ. He was a type of God. Jesus Christ himself. And we must be little Christ. We must be Christian. In other words, Christ-like made in his image, in his likeness. With this proclamation, the people could go back and build the temple of God. Are we hearing that clarion call today to build the temple of God? Are we hearing the voice of God? Are, are we some that hear faintly and are some of the ones that have called but not the chosen ones. We see a lot of Jewish people were called, but were not chosen. We see here that this king had gotten ready for his son to marry and the feast, and everything was ready. He issued a proclamation and went out in his servants. Let's see the servants as the preachers. They went out to preach, in other words, to proclaim this. Number one, righteousness. He says righteousness would fall down, that that righteousness pours down. And it rains on the just and the unjust. But as his servants, we labor against the forces of this world. Those that he had called or chosen, there's a certain vocation God had given to him. He says he's raised Cyrus in righteousness and there are a lot of us that he's raised and placed us in righteousness. In Ephesians, we see where we're to put on the breastplate of righteousness. The gospel is what protects us. The word of God protects us. If we get this righteousness that's falling down upon us, as we go through life, we seem like everyone, every culture, every organization has rules and regulation, you have a sense of right and wrong. You know, no matter where the tribe is or, or what it is, what it is, way it is, there's certain laws that apply. You just don't go around murdering and uh, taking someone's wives or whatever. What, whatever the cultural norms are, God had placed it kind of there for us to know what is right. It says the grace of God had appeared to all men. In other words, a common grace. And we see in Michael, he says, you know what is required of you. To do justly, to do mercy, to have mercy, to be merciful. And to do what is just. In other words, judgment, righteousness. To walk in the right way. We know what is required of us. Do we have the ability to do that? Is it in our hearts or does this clarion call fall upon us that we should be blessed? And see, that's, that's, that's something that all of us can enjoy. All of us are not able to enjoy. Even those in the church cannot enjoy this, some of them. We'll see that David says about this blessing that falls upon some and just as Cyrus was led by God's Spirit, that he was God's anointed, we're to be led by the Spirit of God. That's why Jesus went away, so that the Spirit would come and fall down upon his people, that they would be in him and dwell within them. 
just as those that are led by the Spirit of God. Romans, the book of Romans, the fourth chapter says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Come, uh, come at this blessed man upon the circumcision only, uh, upon, the, uh, upon the uncircumcision also. For we said that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. And how was it reckoned then? Was it a work or was something done by Abraham? No, it was imputed unto Abraham because Abraham believed God. Do we believe God? We have to believe God. We have to believe upon his son for this to inherit this promise as children of Abraham. It says, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So this promise came through the righteousness of faith. So anyone that this faith, that has this faith of Abraham, would be the seed of Abraham. He would be the father of the faithful, but it would have to be God that would impute a righteousness unto these people. I hope I've made this clear through some teaching throughout the week. We've taught on this three or four times that we have to have God's righteousness imputed unto us. In other words, reckoned to our account, accounted as righteous. I was talking to one of my nephews this week and talked to different people or whatever. We have a righteousness, and we try to do that which is right, like I told you in the beginning. You can do all work in your life, and you know your parents and your forefathers and your relatives and people try to do right, but all of that right doing they do is filthy rags. That righteousness has to be discarded, discarded because that's their own righteousness. That's their own goodness. We have to have this right righteousness and this righteousness only comes from God. This is the robe of his righteousness that's in Jesus Christ. So we have to have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. How do we get that righteousness? That's believing and trusting that God had provided this way, this interest to his kingdom, into the kingdom of God. And it says to Abraham, God provide himself a lamb. In other words, this sacrificial lamb, this lamb, Jesus Christ, that we are to robe ourselves in his righteousness because our righteousness is as filthy rags. We have to pull that off. Doing good is is not going to get it. I I was telling him, I said, you do a lot of good things, you're kind-hearted or whatever, but that heart is no good. A kind heart and all this, so I love you and that's that's garbage. That's dung. Paul said, uh, I, I, all this I used to know, I counted as lost. See, because that's of the world. That's something that you don't know what love is. You don't know what righteousness is. We have to have his righteousness imputed unto us. In other words, place to our account, and we have to pull off our righteousness because his righteousness brings justice. It it brings the justice. It's his will being done because there's judgment where there's righteousness. If Cyrus was a righteous king, the only way we could have fellowship with God is that we be justified. Amen. 
In other words, that's why David says, blessed is the man that God imputed not his sin unto him, his transgression. And what God does is forgiveness through Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus Christ was justified in him is that he laid down his life. He died for us. Our sins was placed upon him. He took our sins. See, if we if we have to be just, to be declared just, and that he is right with God, that he is sinless, and that he is without blameless before God. Because there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. So to be pure, to be just, someone else has to bear that sin. Someone has to be that scapegoat to place that sin upon and take it away. And that is Jesus Christ. He bore our sins upon the cross. He died that death to place us in right standing with God. Now when I told you about right standing with God, justification, it placed us there, but it was also has to be reconciliation. Reconciled unto God. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Because without reconciliation, you could be like these people do, going around doing good. You can do good in Jesus' name. You can feed the needy in Jesus' name. You can cast out devils in Jesus' name. You can preach. You can heal the sick. You can do a whole lot of things in Jesus' name. But if you're not reconciled to God, if you don't have a relationship with Him, He's going to say, depart from me, you that work iniquity, because I never knew you. I never knew you. Because that's your righteousness. That's what you want to do. Those are the rewards you receive. That's Phariseeatical religion. That's your belief. That That's something your, your parents or somebody told you. But did God tell you that? Did God quicken and make you alive till you realize the righteousness of Jesus, that you clothed in his righteousness? That you put himself to death? That you have to pull off that old man? And that's why I said you have to have the faith of Abraham. You have to believe God, and you can only get that through the proclamation of God's word. Yes. So before God can you can deal in this righteousness, you have to be justified. You have to be sinless. You, God has to see us in Christ. As he's viewing us in Christ, that's Christ's righteousness he's seeing because Without that righteousness, we can't appear before God. Sin can't go before God. You have to be sinless. And the only one that was sinless was Jesus Christ. So we have to appear. We can boldly go before the throne of grace and petition God in the name of Jesus. That's the only way we can get through that. That's what the Jehovah Witnesses, that's what a lot of religions are missing. It is only in Jesus Christ. As my mother told me, no, you pray to God in the name of Jesus, but you pray into the Father. He says, anything you ask the Father in my name, that's because it's for the kingdom, because he have a name that is above every name. Yes. This righteousness of Christ Jesus, that's the warfare that we wage and we walk. We're wrestling against not just flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers because you see, Cyrus was the type. He was a, a human, a humanistic king. In other words, 
he, he it was like humanism. And so a lot of people talk and say, was Cyrus saved? Or was he a pagan? All this. But Abraham, the stirrer, Abraham shows here that it's not to God's chosen people only. It's to those who have faith. And this is with the faith that Cyrus must have had for him, God, to lead him in righteousness and for all this righteous precepts to be there. That's the only way God can deal with you is that it's you covered with the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only blood can atone for sin. That's the only way we can get before God. Once God gives us the earnest of our inheritance, we know that he is good. Once we, uh, Psalm 34 and 1 through 10, if you read that psalm, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you ever tasted something? Now you know it's good, you continue eating it. If you taste it and reject it, uh, taste it and it's not quite right, you go, I don't like that or whatever. But if you taste the Lord, see there's some that taste of this thing. That's like Judas Iscariot, he tasted of this thing, but he wasn't willing to die. He still had money, you know, some people want that big payday, they, they want that money. It was like Simon. You remember Simon the sorcerer? He wanted the power of God. He was baptized <clears throat> in all these other things because he wanted that power that the Spirit offered unto him, but it was to make money. Yes. Money is a problem. The love of money is a problem because that can say that eh, you're not seeking, seeking God for God and for righteousness' sake. When Solomon prayed to God, before God, he says to give him wisdom, uh, knowledge to lead his people that he could please God. That's when God gave him wealth and all these things he didn't ask for. You know, if we seek the kingdom of God, he says, all these other things will be added unto you. What's your motivation? You see, that's the ones that had fed. A lot of people do things to have a good name. A lot of people do things to be seen. It's all kinds of reasons you can do things, and that's what the Spirit does. It searches the heart. It knows your motivation, why you're doing what you're doing, why you're saying what you're saying. It's a light that searches out in the dark places, and we know whether it's works of righteousness or righteousness sake of those of God. But it says, taste the Lord and see that he's good. We know that the Lord is good. And there's good benefits derived from following the Lord. Yeah. And we can receive deeds, or we can receive rewards according to our deeds, but that's not the reason we're working. We're working because we're children of God. Amen. We're laboring in the vineyards of God, but we're will willing to pull off the old man. We're willing to pray to the Father that his kingdom come because we love his righteousness. We're becoming who we are, and that is children of God. Satan's children can't become children of God. You can't change goats into sheep. That's why they said, we of our father Abraham, and Jesus said, no, you of your father the devil. What are the characteristics you have? What character you have. See, because you have to be shaped in form. And if you shape and in form in the world, David said, 
I was conceived in sin and, and I was shaped in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Right? So how can a man that's born of a woman be straightened out like this? It has to be a supernatural thing that occurs in his life. You have to discard this old man, that old man of flesh. And he told Jeremiah, shape thee and form thee in the womb. So from the foundations of the world, God had chosen a people. God had chosen a certain people that this righteousness would come forth when he's raining down this righteousness that's spoken of in Psalm 45 upon the earth. The earth that receiveth this is like the sower that soweth the seed. Some of the soil, the soil seemed to be the same, but some of the seed fell on good ground. Mm, yes. Some fell on rocky ground. Some fell on thorny ground. But we notice that when Jeremiah says cultivate your fallow ground, there seemed to be some work or some preparation that needs to be done while that seed is sown. The sower was sowing seed and there came a wicked one and sowed bad seed among the good seed. And the farmer rose up and they told him about it. He says, that's okay. Just leave it alone because you'll dig up the good seed with the bad seed. Let the wheat and tear grow together and I'll separate them when the harvest comes up. But there must be a harvest. Harvest time is coming. There's a time <clears throat> what every man had sowed, he shall reap. God's going to reap a harvest. We all going to reap a harvest, whether it be good or bad. We're going to receive when the deeds done in our body. Oh, yeah. And he says that some of them will be speechless in that last day. Uh, look at Isaiah 45, 23 through 25. It says, I have sworn by myself the word is going out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That unto every unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say in the Lord, Have I righteousness and strength. One's gonna say that. Yeah. That in the Lord I have righteousness and strength. He says, And even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against me shall be ashamed. That's gonna be some that's gonna have to cover their mouth. They're gonna be ashamed because What's done in the dark has come to the light. Their hearts have been manifest. They hadn't made themselves right. They hadn't died to self. That old man is still lingering around. That was some preparatory work to be done. That's why the king says when he sent these servants out, the, the invitation included a garment. The wedding garment that you should be robed in. To come to this occasion... I'm going to give you a robe to put on. That you be dressed right. See, that's his righteousness which is imputed. It's placed how well careful. That doesn't make us righteous. Don't be a Pharisee and be so holier than thou. This righteousness you have to labor for. But he gives you a right. He said, imputed to our account. Now, you contradicted yourself, Pastor. You're saying we have to labor for this. But then... You're saying that it's given to us. One thing about imputed to our account, imputed is not imparted to. If we place something in an account, there are certain accounts that you can place stuff in. You can draw out of that account 
but it's a certain stipulations and conditions that you draw out of that account. Yes. Remember I told you in Jesus' name? Yes. If we ask in Jesus' name. But we're not asking amiss. You're not asking the consuming upon your own lust. You're not asking for stuff to eat and drink or ride or, or different things for self, for self-pleasure. Remember, self has to die. What would you do if you won the lottery? Isn't that a lot of selfishness involved in that? That's the that's the stipend, that's the undercurrent that's in this society that's driving it is greed and covetousness. You understand that? The richest man in the world, Elon Musk, he's having trouble with Twitter because he don't understand people. You can have the riches of the world and still not enter in the kingdom of heaven. That's why he says it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven because you got to realize you just like that poor beggar over there. It's no difference in the two. Now have you fulfilled the requirements to be able to wear this robe? Are you able to wear this robe because we all the same in Christ Jesus. There's no male or female. There's no Jew or Gentile. There's no chosen. You talking about, well, I'm a raw people. I'm of Abraham. No, you're not. You just like the next guy. You know better than that prostitute. He said, when we were yet in our sins, so the most evil, a lot of people didn't like Zacchaeus receiving salvation. He says, but this day Zacchaeus' salvation is coming to your house. But immediately Zacchaeus gave away a quarter of his wealth and said, if I wrong anyone, you can have a portion of this. Immediately he starts to do righteousness. So that's something he starts to do. He yeah. starts to make the most sacrifice. I said sacrifices has to be met. Yeah. There's an understanding that has to come to. There's a knowledge you have to have. That's why it says my people perish because of the lack of knowledge. Yeah. You don't have an understanding. You wear your heart on your sleeve. You, you, you're not looking and knowing God. And it says the gospel goes out as the invitation. Here's the wedding invitation in Matthew 23 through 4. It says, Many guests were invited, and when the banker was ready, he sent messages to notify everyone that it was time to come. But all of them refused. So he sent other mess- servants to tell them everything is ready, and the roast is in the oven, and it's, we're ready to eat. But they were busy. A lot of people busy this morning going about their own deeds, their own thing. They have time for church. I'll get you later, Pastor. I'll hit you up later. Everybody's busy. They're, they're not preparing the way God says they're going about doing their thing. But God says, don't forsake the assembly together yourself. Start to show thyself approved. He says, pray. He says, do a whole lot of things. So we see these are conditional things that we should be doing that you can't just on game day go out in the stadium and everybody see us playing as a team. Mm-hmm. This team during the week, the offensive tackles and guards work with a coach that's coaching them how to open up a hole, how to block this person that way, and how to block that person. The center is working on holding his head up and yeah. shifting the ball and putting it where to play. The receivers and things work with the receiver coaches on, on all different fundamentals. The quarterback coach is working with the quarterbacks. The, the special teams is working. And just like the body of Christ, the knee bone and the ankle bone and the shoulder bone, all this is fitly framed together, and everybody has a part to play. And we all have to do our would do that. Nobody is a bench warmer. You all in the game. You all are vital to the body of Christ. Yep. Like that's why I say we all important. 
Man, I was watching that game, and you see, when you see that old open up, I was watching the Titans and the Green Bay Packers the other day. When you see things working like that, the action is on that line. The action is on that line because the quarterback or the fullback, they don't call them fullbacks, the running back and all these things, all that's working in conjunction. And what's taken away from the sports when you have the super stars and the franchise quarterbacks and coaches and all this, and you're not looking at a team. They're taking the teamwork out of team. Mm-hmm. So everybody's, nobody's leading an assist in all this because you want all the glory yourself. You want all the calls. But God, in the book of Ezekiel, we see where God made Ezekiel a watchman, and we're all made watchmen. Yes. That's what Paul told Timothy in, 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 in preaching. He says, we need to do the work of evangelism. What does an evangelist do? You go around glorifying God and telling everybody and laboring in God's vineyard. We're all to labor in God's vineyard that he would send more laborers. You need to be telling people to the Lord. He, what he told his preachers, what did he tell these people? He says, go into the highways and the byways and just bring everybody in. It's like that fishing net. You remember when he said, cast a net on that side of the boat? Yep. And he gathered them all in. When you pull all the drug dealers, the whores, the prostitutes, the yep. bankers, the corrupt bankers, you pull everybody, bring them all in here, bring them all here, and I'll sort them out. You put the whole pile here and let me sort them out. Remember, in that net was all types of fish, but he sorted them out. That's the wheat and tares grow together. Call them all into the church, and when I get there, judgments going to start at the house of God. We might have to throw some preachers out of here. It's a lot of deacons we're going to have to put out of here. It's a lot of pew riders and people in the church we're going to have to clean house. That's what Jesus did. He cleaned house. He throwed the money changers out of there. Oh, yeah. But you are watchman Ezekiel, and you tell them. And our job is to tell them, have you told somebody what you know about the Lord? That's the only way you go grow in righteousness now. That's the way, only way you go grow in Christ. That's the only way you go grow in faith, that you don't have a fear of men, and you can proclaim you going into vengeance and calling them all in. How many people do you ever invite to church? Or ever tell to get into some church? Well, you walking around here holding this to yourself, but you think that you're going to be declared some righteous church person, and you're going to get rich, and you got all these things, but you're never doing anything for God. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to trample my vineyard. He said, because you poor, wretched, naked, you thought you didn't have need of anything. You thought you were doing well. But you're a miserable servant what you are. He says, I've made you a watchman. And that watchman's job is, is to warn. To warn the unrighteous. To warn the righteous. You're warning everybody. Now, if he turned from his righteousness, it's on him. If he don't turn, it's on him. But you've at least got it out of your court. You know, sometimes you have to unload that which God had given you. So that's our job as we come in and we'll feel with the word of God. God feeds us. We're to feed others. We're to cast our bread. And he says, my word will not return unto me void. It's going to accomplish the purpose I sent it to. Now, you had never told anybody about God. If nothing in your life has made God a glorified God or whatever, 
Well, you have to take that up with God. We're going to see who you serve in the world, self, or God. You're either for him or against him. We're either going to the wedding or we're not. But you're not good. I'm, I'm going to give you the proper things, that which I'm giving you, to put on. But the only way you're going to put this on, you got to pull something else off. He gave his church the most possession, purchased the most precious possession, and that was the life of his son. He gave his son for the church. His son died for the church. If he died for you, let's see if you will live for him. That's the only way you can do this, is lose your life to save your life. You want to know what you can do for God? Don't pile in the church up on Christmas and Easter. Those are pagan holidays anyhow. What you can do for him, it's Christ's life that matters, that he live his life through you. Present your body as a living sacrifice unto God. That's therefore your natural requirement that you present your body as a living sacrifice. The life you live, you want to yield your members to righteousness and not unrighteousness. You want to mortify the deeds of the body. You want to stop doing wrong. That requires repentance. It requires turning from who you are. It requires a circumcision. He's going to give you a new heart in which he writes his laws upon him. And that's the way you receive things, walking in those laws, because it is finished. He did all the work on the cross. He, and he said, I've, I've finished it. All you have to do is walk therein. See, you can call the shots and you can rule and reign with Christ because your sins have been forgiven. He says, blessed are those. So that's behind you. You got a clean slate going forward. You've been made upright with God. Walk therein. Walk therein. He gave his son for this purpose. The husbandman, the father gave his son. The feast is ready. He says, Husbands, love your wife even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it. What is sanctify? Set apart to consecrate it, to make it right. Just like the Sabbath is set apart from all other days, we're set apart from all other people. We're supposed to be a peculiar people, a precious treasure of the Lord. He says, be ye holy because I am holy. Come out from the world. If you come out from the world to build the temple of God, we're the temple of God, so we shouldn't defile the temple. Our body is no longer our body. We can't do with our body what we want to do with it. So now we're in a predicament, huh? It says, and to cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. By the word? You mean to tell me this is the way to cleanse myself? Is through being a doer of God's word? I don't know. Did Jesus say, if you are my disciples... If you continue in my word. That's if you continue in my word. Not going your own way. This is not Burger King. You can have it your way. Jesus said that. He says, not my will be done. Even I tell you, that was a precious word when we open up. He says, not my will be done. Thy will be done. We are born by the will of God. Not the will of man. We're born that way. The word is what gives us our life. This is our life. That's the only way we shall live. By every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. 
through faith, we help establish the laws of God. But we know all his laws is righteousness. That's what righteousness is, his laws. But if he imputes that righteousness to us, we fulfill it. That's our nature. His commandments are not grievous unto us. That becomes who we are and what we are. We assimilate the word. Remember I told you that word, assimilate? See, it's like homogenized. We become one with the word. That unity that we talked about Wednesday night. Yes. That we become one, the Father in us, and we in the Father. Not like the lay of the sin, because the lay of the sin, that church, Christ was knocking at the heart's door. He was knocking at the door trying to get in. What is he doing outside knocking at the door? He should be inside ruling and reigning in your heart. He says, by the washing of the of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. He provided the fivefold ministry for that reason. That's why he gave us preachers and teachers. Yes. That's why he gave us the spirit to lead us and God is in all truth. It's the spirit that maketh us free. Because it's going to lead us and guide us in the truth. And the truth sets us. That's what makes us free. There's liberty in Christ Jesus, but it's it's not a no holds barred thing here. There's a way. You remember it says the bride. If you invited here, you're not just going to come out the field and throw on those garments he gave you. Or you're not going to say, man, I got this three-piece suit that I wanted to wear. I've been begging to wear that's what the lay of the sin was. They were clothed in their own righteousness. Yes. The second point here, I don't have much time. You don't have to narrow these points down some. The second point is righteous judgment. Righteous judgment. That's a refusal to do what is right. A refusal to do what is, what is right. Remember I told you in Matthew 5 and 6 that he called, he says, but the guests he had invited merely laughed and went on about their business. You know, I got to do this this morning. I got a house I need to buy. I got, I've been on a wedding. I need to do all these things. And these things are their own righteousness, their self-righteousness, going about doing a religion their way. That was the time of the judges. You remember I told you about the Old Testament? Yes. In the time of the judges, every man did what was right in their own eyes. That's why we have isms today. I told Jerry Arthur one time about isms. Ism is a system. And it's a way of doing things. And there's a isms that's out there today. And I tell you, this is a Babylonian system. Yes. We have to come out of that because it's an ism. It's a world that's against God. Mm-hmm. Satan is a god of this world. Thus he calls us out of this world and he says, take not part in, unless you take part in their place and in their judgment. Come ye out from among them and be ye separate. Yes. And I'll be a father unto you. And he's, nothing's going to be whole. It's just like Cyrus. Nothing was held back from Cyrus because God was leading them to do this in righteousness. And that's why we proclaim the gospel and bring forth the word of God. People laugh at us now and make fun and say these different things. And there's all types of things in all of these religions. 
but you have to give account for the teachings that you teach. Yes. That's why he says, be not many masters. In other words, don't have too many teachers. and You can't blame this on this religion of this man's study because you have to know God for yourself. To know God for yourself sometimes is hate mother, father, sister, or brother. You know, I had an older brother that talked to me sometime. I had different people that talked to me. And everybody that ever said anything, it's in here. What God gives you, nothing is done in vain. That's what helps make you who you are. So you can't blame anybody for a downfall. It's your choices. It's your decisions. So that's, in other words, right is right and wrong is wrong. And that's who forms, that's what's forming who you are and what you are. That informs your character, your integrity. All of us not the same. You know, Joseph was a cut above all his brothers. You remember when they were still lying to the end? He was taking care of them in Egypt and all that. They all say, Dad say, don't hold against us. What Joseph didn't even have that on his mind. He said he was in the place of God. You know, to the end, people that are bad-minded will be bad-minded. Like I said, you can't change sheep into goat. You have to be fully persuaded in your own mind. Self-righteousness. How does that happen? Uh, Verse 12 and 13, it says, Friend, he asked, How does it happen that you are in here without a wedding robe? And the man had no reply. How did, how did you get in this wed without a robe? Yeah. He, then the king said to his aides, Bind him hand and foot and throw him out into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. How did he get in the wedding without this robe on? Well, it says the kingdom of heaven suffered violent and the violent taking it by force. Yeah. I can't stop him from coming in the door. But when the king comes, you can talk about the preacher, talk about, and bogard your way in the church. You can buy your way into church. That's why I said being in the church don't save you, though, because ultimately it's the spirit that gives it life. God comes in. God, you remember I told you the king was God? Here come God in and says, how did you come in here without a rope? Now, either he wasn't invited. You know, you have wedding crashes. People come in. And they're not invited in. They come in. But then, again, he, he didn't have, he stuck out because he didn't have a robe on. Now, also, let's t- look at this another way, though. Okay. He was invited, in the had be invited, they gave him a robe because, you remember I said the king provided the garment. He is Christ's righteousness. But, you got a religion that says all roads lead to the kingdom of God. Amen. Yes. All roads. Yes. All us the same. Oh, yes. But you don't have this robe on that this king say have on. You don't have Christ on. Now, I told you that. The people that you killed told you that. The, all the preachers, all these people told you that. But now here you is, and they say he was speechless. He didn't say anything. The king said, why you don't have a robe on? You was going to go in there with your three-piece suit on. You was going to go in there dressed the way you want to dress. But it says you have to be robed in Christ. You were self-righteous. Let's go to the book of Revelation, the third chapter of Revelation, and the 14th verse, how they start off. He says, 
And under the angel of the church of Laodicea, right. You remember he had told these angels that he was going to take the light from out of their lampstand if they don't do what he's telling them to do. In other words, tell the messenger, ah, this is Jesus Christ. I'm the one who died for you. Yeah. And all judgment is placed in my hand. All authority and power, whatever he said, go. He says, now look, these things said the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. This is the new creation. This is Jesus Christ. This is what he said. I know thine works. You remember I said you could have works? You could have been and did all these good things? Yeah. He says, and that thou art neither cold nor hot. I wish you was cold or hot. I wish you was in or out. But you right there in the middle. He says, so then, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. I'm going to spit you out of the church. We will cast you out of this wedding thing because something ain't right about you. He says, because thou sayest, I'm rich and I'm increased with goods and have no need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now you got all this wealth. All of this wealth Elon must have, but people reject you because you're naked. The king don't have clothes on here. Why? Because you have to have the proper attire. This is a black tie affair. You didn't came in here in the church's have casual day. You don't have the casual dress day and whatever. It said, come as you are. No. Look when Moses was presenting the people that they was coming to God. He says, get your finest out. You'll notice that your parents had a church dress. That they had church things. You have to be ready to come before God. Preparation is the key. That bride's going to look her best on her wedding day. There's not a day in her life that she's not going to look better than she do on her wedding day. Amen. Everybody's going to need to be dressed. But this, was, you thought you didn't have need of anything. You were rich. You thought that everything was, that's you self-righteous. He says, you poor, wretched, and naked. He said, I count thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eyesight that, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be ye zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man... Hear my voice and open the door. I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Mm-hmm. To him that overcometh, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and have sat down with my father in his throne. Yeah. He that had a ear, let him hear what the Spirit said in the churches. Remember I said we're not all the same. All of us don't have ears to hear. You paying attention to yourself. Even though the preacher's preaching, you don't hear what he's saying. You're not a woe. You think you're all right. And you think you, you, you have it all, but here God wakens you to reality. But it's too late. You're going to be cast in the outer darkness. There's no place of salvation here. You toss completely out on your head. The book of Revelation, it talks about this in Revelation, the wedding. It says, the 22nd chapter, it says, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous. And he that is unrighteous, let him be unrighteous. See, because either you're pregnant or you're not. Either you're righteous or you're not. 
But you can't be self-righteous. It has to be righteousness of Jesus Christ. You have to put Christ on, clothed in his righteousness. You remember I told you, you couldn't achieve this. This is imputed unto your account. Now, when it says imputed, that means placed in a reckon. So you remember I told you those account terms, the reckon account is so, but it doesn't mean that it is. You remember it says Job was a perfect and blameless man, but it doesn't mean Job was perfect and blameless. Job had sin, it just God didn't account his sin. You remember I said that David said, blesses the man that God accounted and impute not his sin and unrighteousness. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that's why I say we're all sinners, but you get mad because this adulterous woman, Jesus said, I don't condemn you. Right? right? He says, I don't, but don't sin no more. He didn't tell her to keep sin. He says, don't sin. So he put her in a position that she, he was, she was out here committing adultery with this other man. But now Jesus has cleared her and said he don't condemn her. But where is that man that was committing adultery with her? Yes. His yes. sin is hidden. It's covered. He shall not prosper. See, that, that's what happened to snakes in the grass. Right. That's throwing, hide, throwing a brick and hiding a hand. With all that secret sin, with all those works and all of that wickedness in there who hadn't pulled off that. You have to pull off the old man. But see, it's hot. You thought it was hid, but what's done in the dogs could come into life. See, but that's why I say even the wickedest person can have those sins forgiven and blessed is that person. So that's what I say. I didn't say that this evil unmuscle was a wicked or evil man. But his deeds were. He's not looking for justice. See, what you have to look. I didn't say Cyrus was a perfect, but he had God's anointing, and that anointing came with his righteousness. His righteousness come with clean hearts. You have to have clean hearts to serve the Lord. I mean, clean hands. So God purges or takes away the filth. So doing that, he changes the individual. You're no longer that same individual. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus, but you are works in righteousness. In other words, you are work in progress. Mm-hmm. He's forming and shaping you in his character and in, in his image. So you're not completed until the day you die. Then you're complete in Christ Jesus until the day he comes back. But he worked in us both to will and to do. But as God looking on us, we're covered in the blood. So it's like somebody say that they're bulletproof. In other words, until God get ready for this to happen, you can't die. That's why the apostles said, we don't know what's better to go with, to live with Christ and uh, to remain here. But until you complete your job here, nothing can take you away. You remember Jesus told, you can't take my life. I lay down my life. Because nobody could kill him before his time. He knew that he had a job to do. He laid down his life. Nobody took his life. God determined that wicked men would murder his son this the way it had to go. It couldn't go no other way. So you see what I'm saying? God had predestinated you. Once you start seeing that, and start walking in his righteousness upright, you can rule and reign with Christ right here on this earth. 
Because now you enlighten your eyes is open. That's the third point. Let me see, can I get to this third point? I got five minutes to run through this third point and conclude it. See, can I go through it? says, those who are, who, of us who are laboring in the vineyard of the Lord are the blessed. We're the ones that God has forgiven our sins. We either come in at the last hour or whatever, but we're the blessed ones because our sins are not imputed unto us. We're working in righteousness. People could remember us for what we are or whatever, but what we're doing, we're forgetting what's behind us. We're looking ahead and pressing to the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. We're laboring for Christ. We are hungering and thirsting for his righteousness. As we're hungering and thirst with that righteousness, doesn't his word say those that hunger and thirst for his righteousness shall be filled? So he's good because he says continue to be filled with the word of God. Continue to be filled with the Spirit. Be drunk with the Spirit. In other words, that's what we're hungering for, that God would fill us. Revelation 19, it says, And he said unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those. Blessed are they that do his commandments. Why? Because his commandments are righteousness and those commandments are grievous unto us because why? That has become our new nature. That's who we are and we're killing the old man. We're dragging him around. That old man don't want to die but we're wrestling with him and we know Christ Jesus will make us victorious. He says that they may have a right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates. The king's not going to say, you don't have on the right garments. Because judgment has begun at the house of God. And now go out into the streets. As we went out and preached this thing, he will say, I know thine works. And he says, the bride had made herself ready. The bride had made herself ready. Let's read that in Revelations as I'm trying to close this thing. Because what we're doing, we're ruling and reigning with a rod of iron. And as we continue in the word and being feel hungering and thirsting for the word of God, we increase in godliness. You remember Peter says, add to your faith, virtue, add to virtue, knowledge, add to knowledge. All of these things, as we seeking the kingdom of God, hungering and thirsting for it, will be added unto us, but it's by continuing in his word. The word is sanctifying us and washing us because it says... Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife, listen at this, and his wife had made herself ready. Hold on, preacher. Now that's where you was headed there. That's where it uncontradicts things. Then the righteousness was imputed for Christ, by Christ. In other words, he covers us in his righteousness but under that cover, just like old man Brother Isley was telling me about the walls of Jericho falling down. We get the story of they were circling the walls of Jericho and they circled it seven times each of those days and not saying anything. We don't know what else God was doing which caused those walls to fall during those seven times. If God's our covering, he covers us with his righteousness we are the bride, he says, the bride have made herself ready. <clears throat> and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in the fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. 
no one works harder than the bride does. Now, you remember I said the father is over the wedding. That's God. Jesus Christ is the bridegroom, and we're covered with his righteousness. And I said he had sat down at the right hand of God. He had said it's finished. Then I said that righteousness imputed unto us. In other words, he covers us with his righteousness, but here we are laboring down here in the vineyard. We have to labor. He says, the bride has made herself ready. Do you know I've seen some of the things my wife was going through preparing for our wedding? A lot of people don't know how hard the bride works coming up to Much harder than the groom does. But the righteousness that was imputed is not earned. It's not worked for. Abraham, if he had worked for this righteousness, he could have boasted and said, look at my righteousness which I've earned. But he didn't work for it. It was imputed unto him and that grace, he believed God. And this righteousness was imputed unto him because he believed God. So it's grace through faith. But these works come, and I don't I, I can't don't have time to get into this analogy. James show says, Show me your faith, and I'll show you my faith by my works. What the world's gonna see is God's people working. So you see two groups of people working. You see, those that's working will come before God and say, didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do that in your name? And you'll say, I never knew you. You will have people that come to the gate and say, hey, I believe in you, Jesus Christ. He'd say, go, come on in here. And they say, some will say, well, how did we get a chance to come in here? He says, because when I was naked, you fed me. When I was hungry, I mean, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. He says, when did we see you hungry and when did we see you naked and do it? He says, when you did this to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Now, these are people that are receiving the kingdom in righteousness, but the people that think that they deserve it and are gloating of their works, that's because they hadn't been chained, and these people were naturally working by faith. That's why we were talking about the Gentiles. He said, greater faith I hadn't seen in all Israel. And he was talking about the Centron and Cornelius. They had greater faith. So Abraham is the father of the faith, but faith is that righteousness that's imputed. That, that's not earned. So that which God requires, he provides. That which God requires, he provides. He requires righteousness, he provides righteousness. He imputes that righteousness from his son. But yet and still, he tells us to go forth and do this. So he gave us a building to preach in. He gave us all these things. He gives us, so God's not going to tell you to do something and he hadn't provided the way. He told Cyrus to do this because why? He had provided the way. Cyrus didn't have to fight a battle. The doors was open. He came in a way, no shots fired. Nothing happened. But they did have to work and take that levy down till the water flowed the other way. God provided a way in. But notice that they had diverted the channels to where they could just walk right in. That's why you can't just come to church one 
we can understand all this because I'm going to seem current contradictory, but it's a paradoxical statement. You didn't heard of what a dichotomy is, something different, but both of these are true. Heavenly Fathers, we come before you. We ask you to strengthen us in your word.